Welcome to the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast. Welcome, everyone. This is Michael McNutt, Director of Education and Events for Weedy. From our recent Spring 2023 conference, we welcome Jonathan Burrow, Vice President of Customer Experience and Digital Transformation with Independent Health. Jonathan discusses how using accurate customer data creates a frictionless patient experience. During the session, I was joined by Ed Hafner, Weedy Board Chair and Associate Vice President, Payer Strategy with Change Healthcare. Identifying and resolving member pain points is vitally important to customer retention, engagement, and overall growth. Today, with our next speaker, we're going to learn more about best practices for measuring customer satisfaction across product lines of engagement, including call, chat, websites, and apps. We'll dive into how to amplify the voice of the customer as a key input to improving processes across operational, digital, marketing, and IT teams as we strive all to deliver a simplified, personalized customer experience. It's my pleasure to introduce John Burrow. He's a technologist, a futurist, a courageous explorer of experience design. John's career has been wide ranging through healthcare, retail e-commerce, messaging and multi-channel communications and internet of things. Serving over 10 million monthly active uh, users. Some of his past customers included Liberty Global, AT&T, Wide Open West, CenturyLink, Paula Dean Foods, Soft Science, and Interstellar, Intel, and, and Telestar, excuse me. In his current role with Independent Health, John is focused on leading a customer-focused, digital-first business transformation to make care delivery more, and I love this, enjoyable, effective, and efficient. I love it because I'm a big fan of alliteration, and it makes perfect sense. Uh, so, John, Independent Health, welcome to the Spring Conference. Oh, thanks for having me today. It's, uh, no. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Now, with everything that you've done prior to coming to independent health, um, what are some of the takeaways that you've seen outside of healthcare um, in terms of customer data, in terms of pulling that information in and actually utilizing it for that, once again, that enjoyable, that positive experience? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think a lot of people can probably um, agree with this, but, you know, the healthcare space is definitely a little behind the times when you uh, compare it to other industries like retail. And, you know, we were um, building experiences for e-commerce shopping, uh, customer journeys, uh, using, you know, third-party data and all sorts of um, personalization, you know, 15, 20 years ago. Um, and we have a lot of data in healthcare, but it tends to be sort of locked up or um, uh, disjointed uh, into different places, or we've got concerns around the use of it um, from like a regulatory and compliance standpoint. So there's a lot um, that makes it difficult uh, to sort of uh, find and action that data. And I think from a um, customer lens, we sort of owe it to them uh, to give them an experience that they're expecting based off of uh, these sort of these uh, baselines that have been set by other industries. Um, You know, because at the end of the day, uh, we're going to be judged based off of um, those other experiences, not based off the experiences of our competitors. You know, Mm -hmm. people, once they're locked into health insurance plan for the year, uh, they're not going to experience the other one until the next year. And oftentimes they're not even the purchaser of, of the plan uh, directly anyway. So, um, 
but you know, I think uh, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, we perform better uh, as a business and as a health insurance company when you know we meet customers' expectations in that regard. So there's a lot of things that we're doing at Independent Health to continue to improve our customer experience through the use of uh, uh, of data and improving the way that we handle it. Um, so I'm happy to happy to dive into that today. No, that's great. And by the way, I'll be joined, I might be joined from time to time by our weedy chair at Hafner with Change Healthcare, who's also a big tech fan who um, will hopefully talk about, you know, or ask you how emerging technology is playing into this kind of patient experience. You talked about healthcare data being locked up. How, how what are you doing at Independent to unlock it? And then what are you doing with it once it's unlocked? Yeah, uh, you know, again, some of the stuff that we're doing isn't necessarily groundbreaking. Um, there's a few things I think that we are, but, you know, in terms of unlocking data, you know, one of the most fundamental things you can do is essentially set up a sort of a customer um, uh, uh, 360, right? Um, and have all of that data sort of funnel into one place that makes it actionable together uh, instead of having it all sort of siloed into different places. I think technically there's lots of different ways to approach that, um, you know, uh, but I'm not going to get into the sort of the weeds on that. I think at the end of the day, uh, making sure that you have real time and actionable data all in one place uh, is sort of the first step towards uh, unlocking that data. Um, I think operationally, one of the things that we ran into when we started uh, taking this sort of um uh, what we call, we like to call it internally our engagement data store. But when we when we take this approach to bringing all this data together, um, you have to look beyond just the data points themselves. You also have to look at like how the business is run operationally and how do you ensure that every time you know the the company goes off and does another new initiative, or more customer information or member information is being uh, captured or learned. How do we ensure that that's all flowing back uh, so we can continue to capitalize on um, what we're learning about our customers uh, every touch point? Um, that, that, that's been a kind of a, um, I think, a key learning for us as we've been developing our maturity on this. Yeah. Talk to me about, and you just kind of briefly mentioned right there, the personalization idea. I mean, we're talking about data that is you know personal. It's our, it's our health data. It, it's what makes us tick. Uh, so to speak, um, you know, how, how are you, how do you view or how does independent health view the the need to personalize that data and, and really help draw and make that impact to the bottom line, not only the bottom line for me as a patient, but helping you understand your patients a lot better through personalization of that data? Yeah, you know, we've taken a, a fairly um, multi-pronged approach on this. Um I think maybe before I answer your question, I think one of the really fundamental things that we did differently as we started, again, uh, um, improving our maturity and uh, member engagement is we made sure that we adopted a uh, very uh, sort of fast uh, learning culture and finding ways of being able to experiment with personalization and with the use of member information to ensure that uh, we are in fact creating a better experience for our customers uh, and one that is um, both driving better outcomes but also not at the cost of um, customer experience because 
you know, sometimes we, we've had a lot of conversations around, you know, if you get uh, a little too, uh, I'll say freaky with the way that you use information, get a little too personalized, you can actually scare people away. So um, our approach has been one of uh, sort of rapid learning and making sure that we have a process that takes insights from any of our attempts to engage our customers and to feedback feed that back into how we uh, do it moving forward. Um, one of the things that we do, though, is yeah, there's a lot of case studies that have been done, again, outside of our industry, um, you know, for the last decade around personalization being um, a high driver for customer engagement. Um, I was just looking at a study the other day from advisory board where they were showing that um, one of the number one things you can do to help drive uh, better engagement is to go beyond personalization of an email by plugging in, um, you know, a name, but actually go further and plug in like a personal data point. So, for example, if you're trying to engage somebody on getting their annual wellness visit um, uh, as, a, as a health insurer, you uh, you know, including the last date of visit as a way to remind them that it's been a while, right? As, uh, something that shows that uh, you know a bit about them, that it's a personal engagement. Um, and you'll see a, a much greater uh, return or conversion rate on that particular engagement effort. So um, we're looking to experiment with things like that and include more personalization through all of our touch points. You see in your time at independent versus also, you know, outside of healthcare, generationally, is there a little bit of hesitancy, um, you know, with, you know, older generations versus the younger generation, which a lot of us all feel they're more apt to fill out anything so you can get all that data as opposed to those who might be a little more reluctant based off of, you know, digital literacy or, or lack thereof. Yeah, you know, that used to be the case, I think, again, about a decade ago, um, when I my first go around in healthcare, I, th I think I did it for about a year before I went off and um, started my own business. And it was back in e commerce for a while. But back then, uh, yeah, there was a huge, I think, age divide. Um, I think if you look at some of the research done by like Pew Research, um, and others, you know, the um, age divide is quickly disappearing. And we're seeing even in our own um, member engagement data that, you know, you're you're really not seeing a drop off, uh, a major drop off in engagement um, until you get into like the uh, 70 plus. But even then, you know, you, you're kind of moving on to the primary caregiver in our space being, um, you know, not the person themselves, but a family member. And they tend to um, sort of pick up where, you know, their maybe their elderly parent is leaving off. So you're still getting engagement, but via proxy. So I think, um, yeah, the story's still there. I mean, we're definitely getting less engagement from somebody in their 50s than you are somebody in their in their 30s. But it's not like it was 50% uh, less like it used to be. I mean, we're talking like, you know, maybe uh, 10 to 20% less. Mm -hmm. I will also note too, like in our, when we do like Medicare customer engagement, we're seeing those customers uh, far more engaged in the communications that we're putting out when they, when they are, when it's a topic of interest. So um, for example, on emails, when we send those out to Medicare members, we're seeing that they'll open an email like seven or eight times, the same email, 
and they'll they'll read it for an extended period of time versus somebody who's um you know say like a young uh any young family that person will open the email uh just once if we're lucky so um i don't know if it's because they have more time on their hands or what but they're they're definitely um more engaged when they are engaged I think it's, um, I know for my family anyway, it's my dad opening the email, reading it, then he's closing it, then he's opening it up, reading it to me over the phone. And then when I come over, he's opening it up again and making me read it to him right in front of him. So that that's, at least that's the data capture on my side. Um, Ed Hafner, our, our weedy chair has a question for you. Yeah, quick. Uh, thank you. And Jonathan, I just a quick commercial. Every time I visit Independent Health, I always go to the Wegmans that's right in front of your office. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, so commercial's over. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, you're talking so much about, you know, providing information to people. And I would imagine you have risk analysis where you're able to identify conditions of patients and enroll them in care management programs. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I can talk a little bit about that. Um yeah, obviously, like that doesn't happen uh, directly on the customer facing side, which is, um, you know, what what my primary role is. But um, we do attribution. Right. And when we identify um, customers uh, who have um, a, uh, a high value, I think both from a customer lens and also from like a business lens for risk adjustment, um, you know, we obviously we kick off different um uh, engagement uh, campaigns, depending on the type of uh, situation that member needs mm-hmm. um, to get them engaged. So we obviously have a lot of activities uh, in there. Uh, this might be going on a path. I don't know if uh, you were thinking this, but one of the things that we've done to to better engage our customers is to be really clear on uh, what the highest priority for our next best action is. And so I guess going back to the whole CDP conversation and and really um, having a clear profile for each member, we actually um, incorporate the risk adjustment um, and case management opportunities uh, directly into that overall profile of a member. And uh, sometimes, a lot of times, those opportunities sort of bubble up to the top just because they offer maybe like the highest um, uh, value for a customer and for us, and we'll engage them uh, based on that. But sometimes it's not the best opportunity uh, if it's something of lesser value. So it really depends on um, the situation. But I think what's a really important fundamental change in what we've done is we've um, incorporated that analysis into, as attribution that goes back into our member action plan, uh, which helps us stay really focused on when we get an opportunity to engage, we're engaging on the right thing. That's great. It's be interesting, and this may be out outside your area, Jonathan, is the uh, whether it be value-based care or whether it be someone under a care management program, uh, how do you encourage engagement, getting their meds, you know, visiting, uh, perhaps even sharing uh, device information back? Uh, I'm just, just curious about that whole experience when you're into that kind of a program. Yeah, I mean, I think our ability to engage members is evolving um, pretty rapidly. We recently rolled out um, what we call our Care for You program, um, which really focused uh, first on uh, essentially a subset of our Medicare population who have multiple comorbidities uh, and real high risk. Um, We reach out to both a combination of the um, person themselves as well as their caregivers if we know who they are. 
and we enroll them into a program where we send nurses out to the home um, and we create more of like a high touch um, care management or care navigation for them. Um, and that's how we are now interfacing with uh, those members to, to get them enrolled into additional programs that have things like um, re remote patient monitoring tools. Um, and so uh, it's it's the been the best way for us to to and keep those members engaged um, and to have an ongoing conversation with them. We're now in the process of bringing uh, telemedicine tools that enable those same patients to have quicker and easier access to the nurse that um, works with them um, in their home. So that way they have multiple mo modalities to engage. And it's been a really, really successful program. One of the things that we're constantly evolving is our speed uh, to sort of capture new information that we're learning about those members. Because, you know, not everything that we uh, encounter in the field is something that we've got like a schema for in a database in terms of like preferences and um, attribution. So uh, that's been something that's been evolving too, uh, because we've gotten closer to our customers. That's fantastic. Uh, do you want to go to Janice's question, Michael? Yeah, actually, yeah. Before I go into the amplifying the customer voice, Janice does have a question in the chat. Are there specific things that have been successful in convincing reluctant providers to send you their data so it can be incorporated into this 360-degree view? Oh, that's a tough question. Um, we, have, we have a whole sort of uh, part of the company that is more focused on this uh, particular challenge than I am. But I think I, uh, one of the things that we've done is we've partnered with our provider, at least our key largest provider groups, um, to make it a, a bit of a two-way street. Um, you know, one of the benefits to our providers to get um, payments for, because uh, we're, we're, especially on the primary side, we're all 100% value-based care right now. So what we're doing uh, with those guys is we built a essentially a custom uh, dashboard that allows our um, partner providers to be able to have access to gap and care information in real time from our systems. Um, and we deliver it two ways. We have a, both a provider portal and we've worked with uh, an external company called Holon um, that essentially um, allows a provider to have like a little bar that or um, like a, I don't know we call it like a sidecar that pops up next to the EMR that allows them when they look at a patient record to see what our records show um, in parallel alongside it. So um, using that interface we're able to um, create essentially like a two-way um, process where we're enabling them to get information from us that helps them better manage the patient and ultimately get to um, close gaps in care where it's just an issue of <clears throat> missing documentation. And then we created a whole submission process for that um, documentation to come back to us, um, among other things. Oh, we've got a multi-pronged strategy there because we're also working um, with, um, I think, some brokers of EMR data uh, to do more like back office swapping where um, some, some of our partner providers are allowing that as well. Excellent. Uh, we just finished right before your session, a session on SDOH, social determinants of health. So our next question in the chat uh, is kind of focused on that. Um, in terms of social determinants of health programs, um, do you share, talk about the data sharing process 
with the providers, um, what type of consent framework you have around SDOH data sharing. And if there's anything that you know that independent is doing with SDOH data and turning it around to help that, you know, experience. Ooh, tough question. Um, this is actually a bit of an evolving strategy for us as well. Uh, we actually are in the, um, we struggle with this a little bit um, because, as you know, on the SDOH side, even if you have information um, about uh, SDOH concerns for a member, um, getting them to an appropriate, uh, you know, community resource to be able to meet the need for that um, concern has been a challenge. Uh, and then even when we do that, um, getting data back from those community resources uh, because they're so fractured and, and quite frankly, a lot of the community resources that can help with these uh, concerns also are just really small sort of outfits um, that don't necessarily have uh, robust um, teams or infrastructure to be able to do information sharing. So uh, one of the things that we're doing now is working with, um, I'm I think I can say this, but we're working, we're working with a company, uh, talking with a company called Alco, which is a uh, essentially a a platform that ha has essentially um, enabled a two-way data sharing uh, ecosystem for community resources and um, people looking to put uh, patients or, or people through onto those community resources. So we'll actually be able to essentially close the loop on, I think, all of those uh, understanding where our members are going when we do identify um, SDOH needs. Um, we have a place to send them to as like a call to action. And then we also get feedback from those community uh, resources to know whether or not the members are actually engaged there, which is going to help us tremendously um, to be able to do follow on engagement when we're not seeing um, the members sticking with it. So. And, and improve really those profiles for those members. Excellent. I guess the, the other obvious one too, by the way, is uh, uh, health risk assessments. You know, we're continuing to improve the way that we do those to capture more SDOH um, awareness. Uh, and we've done a few things to improve on that too, but I think it's a pretty obvious one. Excellent. Uh, let's talk about um, amplifying the customer voice. Uh, walk me through the steps and some of, I guess, your lessons learned and, and some of your highlights in terms of how independent health is best amplifying the customer voice in order to, once again, make this patient experience enjoyable, efficient, and I forgot the other word, but enjoyable and efficient. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a lot of things that we've got going on there. I, I think one of the most important things for us has been to... Um, uh make sure that our customers feel heard uh first and foremost and you know i some of the tools that are out there um again might be obvious uh, but something new for us uh, but we're data mining now all of our um, customer phone calls so one of the ways that we used to keep track of what members are saying about uh, their experience with the healthcare system was through uh, tagging and essentially notes that our customer service representatives were leaving in our CRM based on um, those phone calls. 
But obviously the conversations that members have with our servicing reps uh, is far richer than what a servicing rep can document, especially given uh, the volume that they have to handle and the turnaround times that they have to meet. Um, so this is uh, an area that we're um, actually, quite frankly, we're just getting started in. So it's, it's pretty exciting for us. Um, but uh, the idea that we can both alleviate the documentation requirements on our customer service reps, as well as getting richer insights as to what's happening on those calls is is, an, is one way that I think we're amplifying the customer's voice, because that is a place where they're talking to us. Um, and we just need to do a better job listening. So yes. that's a key one. Um, and on in that regard, one of the other things that we're doing now, too, is uh, we built essentially this entire team that's focused on end-to-end -end customer journeys. And when we engage on topics like uh, health engagement, we, if you think about in the past, um, we would send out letters or make phone calls or uh, send emails that uh, essentially would inform a member kind of what we expect them to do. Uh, and that's kind of where the conversation ended. One of the things that we're doing now is we're actually including follow-on feedback opportunity. So, for example, for trying to get a member to engage in, um, you know, uh, preventive screening like colonoscopy, um, we're actually including feedback mechanism that allows them to just state, uh, I don't need it, don't want it, um, or what, what their reasons are for not choosing not to engage. Um, and that gives us a, a better idea of how to approach them on the next nudge. Um, and we built these fully automated journeys and we basically took the feedback that we're getting from uh, the response from a member and just feeding it into uh, that automated journey and allowing that to determine whether or not we should engage uh, again and it might modify how we engage. So I think that's an important an important way that we're amplifying the voice of the customer. Excellent. Ed, you have a question. Yeah, I, I, I just want to make a quick comment, then I'll follow, follow up. I just love the idea of being able to use the voice um, communications as long as there's consent, you know, and to be able to study, um, you know, the you know the feedback from your, your customer service experience. Very, very cool. Um, you know, talking about advanced technology, you know, ChatGPT is out there. Everybody's talking about it. Uh, I actually had a, a, a friend's, parent uh, received a lab result of her cancer diagnosis and she had a lab result and she couldn't read it. She was very uptight. They, uh, the fellow fed it to ChatGPT and it came out with a wonderful uh, layman's uh, description. It, it, was, it made, made her relaxed. It was something she could feel and, and he could feel uh, comfortable in, interacting with. So how, how are you looking, are, are you examining uh, those sorts of technologies, uh, whether you source it or whether it be sourced by, you know, an organization like Microsoft? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, that's been a uh, focus for us uh, probably since like last November um, when GPT-3 uh, was out and people were starting to see some pretty good success with it. Um, we, uh, there's a lot, I think that still needs to be figured out for us, um, but we've been experimenting with different ways of using it. Um, there's obviously um, some external use cases, uh, kind of like what you were just talking about, where we can kind of simplify member communications. 
We've actually been using um, a different kind of tool, but they've recently incorporated a very similar sort of technology, similar to ChatGPT. Um, but we use a tool called Writer uh, AI that um, can do uh, member communications for us in a, in a very uh, layman's um, way. Uh, so that's been a very effective tool for us. Uh, part of what we've had to figure out is how to use these new tools appropriately. And that's an entirely, you know, different lengthy conversation that we could get into. But um, that's a that's a good use case externally. I think it helps uh, speed up our ability to um, essentially build these new customer journeys and, and get them to market quickly. Um, one of the other ways that we're looking at it, though, on the internal side is uh, being able to interpret, uh, similar to like what you're talking about lab results, but interpret um, member benefit information. Uh, it can be very difficult for um, our, uh, there's like a, we, we've always talked about there being like a need for a translation layer in between like our member benefit contracts and like how people actually talk. So, you know, when somebody wants uh, information on whether or not they're covered for us, you know, a sleep study or a CPAP machine, really. Um, you go into our benefit contracts and, you know, they talk about like durable medical equipment, um, which, you know, DME is uh, maybe something that's just not synonymous with a CPAP because, you know, the member, that's all they hear from a family member is CPAP. So um, we have to bridge that gap. And I, what I love about these new tools is it makes it very easy um, to do that without having to go back and sort of uh, do this very onerous uh, process of sort of rewriting all of our benefits across all of our products. So um, that's one of our key use cases that we're focusing on. We haven't rolled it out yet, but um, I think it's going to help both internally our servicing reps get answers to our members faster. Uh, you probably have seen some industries are using like ChatGPT like solutions now to just prop uh, to pop information right on the screen as it's being discussed. Um, so that's one one use case for it. And then the other is to just put it right in front of the member through a mobile web and uh, or mobile app and website. So that's what we're targeting. Hey, Jonathan, do you QA that, or how do you gain trust that 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 use case is going to be able to respond confidently? Yeah, well, so our QA process, again, we haven't rolled that out yet, um, but our QA process uh, is going to be to roll it out internally first um, and using a feedback loop uh, to do further fine tuning. Um, and then on the uh, sort of other end of it, um, when we do finally roll it out, uh, we're obviously going to have to have some clear disclaimers. but. Um, we're not going to roll it out until we have a really high degree of confidence uh, that it's answering correctly. And just from other sort of case studies we've seen, not particularly on um, our data yet, but on other case studies we've seen, we know that people can get up to 97 to 99% sort of accuracy. So we're just trying to figure out um, how to identify maybe the, the lowest 5% confidence and somehow mask that from getting out the door in the first place. Um, and turning that into a phone call. But I think we can make a really big impact on customer experience if we can still leverage the 95% that we have 100% confidence in. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see, oh, this is my last one, Michael. Um, it'd be interesting to see how you train it, right? So when you do find something that's not right, you know, what would be your process of, of making sure uh, that the model gets input to you know, respond better next time? 
Yeah, I think like uh, I, I've been into the weeds on some of these like large language models. I know they're all very different now. Um, or there's some new ones coming out. Uh, we're just starting to look at um, the new AWS uh, capabilities with like Bedrock and Titan too. Um, but I, I think they do have uh, their own like fine tuning processes that, you know, uh, we're just going to follow the prescribed way to do it. Thank you. No, this is great. Um, before I go into challenges, I wanted to talk, Jonathan, the bio says you're a futurist. You've worked elsewhere outside of healthcare. We just simply, we just talked about artificial intelligence. Where does your mind go in the next five to seven years in terms of I've seen virtual reality, I've seen healthcare in the metaverse. Where do you see healthcare going, especially in terms of what your job is, the patient experience? Where do you see technology taking it in five to seven years? Uh, that's a pretty, that's a pretty um, long horizon. Uh, I mean, we just all learned about ChatGPT. Uh, yeah, I know. Like yeah, maybe I should shorten and... that. I should shorten it to like what eighteen to eighteen to thirty six months. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think in the broader healthcare space, uh, yeah, obviously there's going to be a lot of, um, I think probably like um, policy and regulation that ensure that you know we're. Uh, not doing more damage than we are good uh, with some of these new tools. Um, I'm very hopeful, though. Uh, I'm a, maybe like uh, an optimist and a futurist to a fault. Um, but I'm very uh, hopeful that at the end of the day, like these, uh, the technology that's coming out can essentially um, bring about a uh, sort of a revolution to how um, the whole industry works because you know, we've been fighting against uh, sort of data interoperability and transparency uh, and all that stuff. I, I'm not fighting against it, but fighting to like make it work, you know, and there's been a lot of policy and things like that that have happened. But, you know, if you look at things like machine readable files uh, and interoperability, I mean, it's being used in some places, but like the data is very inconsistent. And uh, I think very few um, sort of big benefits have come from that. And I think part of the problem is, is that we just don't have um, the right uh, uh, tools in place to take to, to take advantage of those things. So I think with, um, you know, the democratization of data and information and now the tools that can probably consume them, I'm hoping we can see a lot more innovation happen faster on it, um, you know, uh, but I, I don't know. That, that's kind of fuzzy for me, to be honest with you. No, it should be. The future should be kind of fuzzy for us. So it's it's totally fine. Um, Janice has a question. Speaking of transparency, uh, will you be fully transparent when AI is used, the thresholds you're setting for acceptable accuracy, et cetera? Yeah, I think that's really um, important. I was actually just talking to somebody about that this morning about this idea of like traceability, um, you know, and there's like a there's like a problem with some some AI, not all AI. I think a lot of people are trying to solve for this now. But the idea of like, well, when it comes uh, to conclusions, when it, when results are given, like how does it arrive at those results? I think that's something that we have to get uh, very um, good at and at creating more transparency there. And I think at the end of the day, if we are putting information in front of customers, I think we owe it to them to let them know how we um, produce that information. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's 
I'm a firm believer in it. Um, and I think it helps people make decisions better about how they choose to to believe and trust information. I'm interested, Michael. Uh, you know, speaking of you know uh, forming uh, your members, uh, really interested in your education programs. Are you are you being proactive in promoting your transparency solution uh, or, or other sorts of patient facing types of you know lesion, even patient access? Are you uh, putting out literature, training sessions, or uh, curious what your approach is? Yeah, I think right now for us, um, it's uh, something like a step above minimum necessary. <laughs> okay. Um, and it's not it's it's not that actually we don't want our members to have it. I think it's just really difficult. Like I was saying before, like difficult to have people understand it, especially like when you talk about like transparency, right? Like there's uh, sort of derived uh, estimates for services um, based off of claims, and then there's also negotiated rates. Mm-hmm. You know how does a how does a member know like what the difference is between the two? How do they know how to um, you know uh, determine what level of complexity their particular case might be um, to know like where they fall on the spectrum? Um, you know, I, I've long liked tools like Healthcare Blue Book, where they just sort of give you like, you know, green, yellow, red um, indicators to let you know whether or not like you're in a good range for cost and quality. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes to, you know, what we've been required to do from a compliance standpoint and putting cost estimates out there, I, I just think even having access to that information, it doesn't mean that it's going to be accurate. And yeah. So you're a big fan of advanced explanation of benefits then? <laughs> I, I mean, I like the concept if it can actually work, but, yeah. you know, like I, I don't think the providers are all that excited about it because um, I don't know if they know what they're going to bill for until they open the patient up or look at them, right? Right, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. I think AI, though, can play a really big role in sort of um, making that work better, right? Because it can look at a larger data set about who a person is, their demographics, their history, and probably come to a far more precise assumption as to like what that person will encounter. And that, and that's where I'm hoping that the tools will take us. Interesting. Still on the emerging technology kick, uh, Janice is asking, are you doing anything with blockchain at this point? If so, what and how is it going? Uh, I've got an Ethereum mining farm in my basement, but uh, <laughs> outside of that, um, no, in the healthcare space, not at the moment. Um, we've been monitoring it for a very long time. Uh, I like some of the um, promises that it makes, um, but I've seen some pretty wild ideas that make no sense, like storing all healthcare data in a blockchain. Um, so everybody in the world gets a copy of your medical records just locked to your key. I I don't understand that. But, you know, provenance for like, you know, ensuring that, you know, the pharmacy medications that you're receiving um, haven't been tampered with when incorporated into, you know, like, um, like um, container seals and things like that. Really cool use case. Um, I like it, but uh, we don't have anything that's, I think, from a business lens, like driving um, uh, any reasons why we should use it. So we're, we're monitoring, but we're not actively using. In terms of amplifying the voice, creating this fantastic customer experience, um, what challenges uh, have you encountered 
Um, and, and what's the light at the end of the tunnel? What's the silver lining around those challenges for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's a lot of different challenges that we've run into. I think we almost like the title of this session um, in terms of like accuracy of customer data. <laughs> I think that's always an issue. Um, <clears throat> you know, we still have situations where, um, you know, we're communicating with people about something where we just didn't get, you know, the, the latest update in time. So we've we've really put... You know, for example, like somebody, um, you know, may have passed away and, you know, here we are the next day placing a phone call to their family to try and get them enrolled into, you know, case management program. Um, that's never a good situation. So I, we're obviously getting really, I think, good at that and understanding like where we need to improve processes to fix that. Um you know, I think one of the more interesting ones, though, like we talked about earlier, is when you start to learn things about members that maybe weren't part of what you anticipated. Like, do you have the ability to recover quickly? Um, and do your systems and processes have the ability to adapt to learning new things about members or patients um, uh, that weren't predicted? Uh, so one example of that for us was we were doing engagement campaigns around diabetes prevention program. And one of the people that we um, engaged uh, have a, an eating disorder and uh, their, their parents got involved and uh, were very upset that we were engaging them because they felt that we should have known that that was an inappropriate uh, thing to engage them on. And, you know, frankly, we didn't have that data point to begin with. So um, we probably would have had the same problem anyway. But we also quickly learned we didn't have a really easy way to sort of update a, um, um, a customer profile to make sure that we were using that data point going forward. So, you know, we've recovered those things, but uh, I think having process uh, in a way to keep track of how you learn and use that information uh, as it happens is, is really important. And that's a something that we had to learn, I think, the hard way a number of times. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, care gaps. You know, recognizing a patient has a new condition. Um, you know, I know some people look at claims or look at eligibility uh, and be able to notify you know the right people to quickly engage them in the right program. Is that something you're pursuing? Um, yeah, we have a whole team that's dedicated to that, <clears throat> um, and they definitely look at ways of contacting providers. Uh, you know where where we have information. I think one of the biggest um, improvements to our ability to do gap closure though is related to what I mentioned before, which is partnering with <laughs> our biggest provider groups um, in our footprint and uh, creating a really seamless way for them to submit gap and care corrections. Uh, we built a, a tool from the ground up for that, um, completely custom and uh, we get praises from our providers all the time uh, for making that simple. But quite frankly, it was a really simple tool for us to build. Um, and it's really improved our ability to collect information and to get those gaps closed um, quickly and efficiently. I think we've more than doubled the volume that we get, and we've only had it running uh, for the past three years. Um, we're, we're doing double the volume that we used to get for the tool. Excellent. Thank you for that question, Ed. Uh, this was a fantastic session, and I hope folks um, glad we're recording it because, uh, you know, Jonathan gave the secret sauce to a lot of the stuff in terms of 
uh, customer experience. So Jonathan Burroughs, Independent Health, thank you so much for this fantastic conversation. Ed Hafner, our weedy board chair with Change Healthcare, thank you so much for uh, being my uh, my partner in crime for these 45 minutes. Uh, John, looking forward to speaking with you again as Weedy continues uh, to you know really promote the patient voice and, and what payers can do to assist the payers, uh, assist the patients in making this experience enjoyable, efficient, and 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 if, um, effective. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Take it easy, John. It pleasure. Take care. Take Thanks, care. everyone. This has been the Collective Voice of Health IT, a Weedy podcast, where the healthcare IT communities connect, collaborate, and create solutions for a better health system. Find all our episodes as well as information on our association on our website, wedi.org. Thank you for joining us, and be safe.